0: We're going to conclude our Bible study tonight on the subject of Behold the Lamb of God. And I gave you the opportunity on our in our last study on this topic to go with me through the Old Testament and mark in your Bible in red those passages which are a part of the Scarlet Thread of Redemption... Uh, which we were tracing from the book of Genesis. And so tonight, if you would like to do that, we have some red pens available. If you didn't get one or didn't didn't bring yours, uh, go ahead and just raise your hand and we'll uh, bring you one because we're going to continue uh, where we left off. And it's a good thing to study the Word of God in a way that is comprehensive, to be able to understand the totality of it. And so we're, we're following the, the thread of God's redemptive plan through the blood of the Lamb all the way from the book of Genesis, and but beginning here in John, for our context, John chapter 1, verse 19. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, this is John the Baptist speaking, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Aren't you glad there's a lamb that takes away the sin of the world? We live in a fallen world, a world of brokenness and shame and sin because of its rejection of God. But God has provided a lamb, and that lamb is Christ. Father, we thank you tonight for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would anoint my lips of clay, to teach the word of the living God, and I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might hear the word as we study tonight, and they might receive its truth into their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. The last time we took on this study, just before Passover, we were talking about how there is a theme That runs through the whole Bible. And it is uh, often called the Scarlet Thread of Redemption. And this theme or this thread. Is the story. The redemptive plan of God through his son Jesus Christ. We began following one of the threads. uh, Because I mentioned to you that there are three parts to the thread. Uh, The uh, first strand of the thread is the. Prophecy concerning the Messiah. Another strand of the thread is the bloodline of the Messiah. And then the third part of the third strand is the types of Christ. So there are a lot of parts that you could follow. And uh, I have uh, taken you on a journey, a brief journey, through some of those passages related specifically to the Lamb of God. Because when John the Baptist introduces Jesus... As the Lamb of God, he is introducing him as the figure that uh, fills the entirety of the shadow that was given to to the Old Testament saints in the description of the Lamb of God. I'll mention briefly, and then we will pick up where we left off last time. We saw the first part of this thread in Genesis 3.21, where God gave garments of skin to cover the sin and shame of Adam. Then we saw the altar in Genesis 4.4. 4. This is where Abel offered a lamb as a sacrifice which was accepted to God. Then we saw in Genesis 14.18, the bread and the wine, the new covenant symbols uh, that we call the Lord's Supper, given to Abraham as a type and shadow of the Lamb of God. Then we saw the covenant made between God and Abraham in, in Genesis 15.10. And we discovered that the blood of the lamb was a covenant blood. Then we uh, got as far as Genesis 22 verse 8. And we saw how uh, the sacrificial lamb, the substitute that saved the life of Isaac, the ram caught in the thicket, uh, was to be a, a, a symbol or a type of the fact that Christ would come and be our substitute. So tonight we're going to take up this study in the book of Exodus. We only got as far as Genesis last time, and we're going to try to get a little further tonight. But I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, and have your red pen handy there. I mentioned to you that what I have done is gone through my Bible, and I have marked in red those passages that deal with Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, There is an argument to be made for the fact that every text in the Old Testament proves or points to Christ. But there are some passages that are undeniably passages which relate to the uh, person of the Lamb of God. And so in Exodus chapter 12, we will begin there at verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first of the month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, "On the tenth of this month, each of you, uh, each one of you, is to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household." Now let's uh, just pause there for a moment and get a context here. These verses are the beginning of the Passover story. You recall that when the nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt, the 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 deliverance came through the shedding of a lamb's blood, and that lamb's blood was applied to the doorposts of their homes. And that night, the angel of death came into Egypt, and he avenged the nation of Israel, as we talked about on Sunday, and he. Uh, delivered them as well. But he, he took every firstborn son. He took the life of every firstborn in the land of Egypt. But whatever house had the blood, the death angel did not touch because the blood had been applied in faith to the doorpost of the house. How many of you have heard this story? All right, so here we have the beginning of that story and there are some details that are important for us to understand. First of all, we uh, if you're going to mark in red, you should certainly mark verse 3 of that verse. Why? Because the Bible tells us there that the Lamb of God would be for each household. Ahí en Éxodo capítulo 12 y el verso 3, siguiendo la línea roja uh, o escarlata de la redención, vemos que el Cordero de Dios sería para la familia. God has sent a lamb to save households. Dios ha enviado un cordero para el rescate de la familia. Someone should say Amen. God loves families. Dios ama a la familia, and He He invented the family. El inventó la familia, and He sent Jesus the lamb for families. El envió a Jesús el cordero. Para la familia, your family belongs to God, or uh, is important to God. Tu familia es importante para Dios. I don't care what kind of family you have. I don't care what kind of stuff your family is going through. I don't care what kind of situation you might have encountered. Your family is important to God. Everyone say amen. amen. And everyone in your family is important to God. Say amen again. He said, no, I don't know about Cousin Pepe. He may not be that important. Well, he may not be that important to you, but he's important to God. Say amen, somebody. Isn't that good news? The Lamb of God is for the family. And if you read the book of Acts, the Bible says that Paul uh, said to a man, he said, if you believe, you and your house will be saved. And that is a promise from God that when the when a person receives the Lamb of God into their heart, that it will have a household impact. Now maybe you're the only person in your household right now that knows Jesus. Maybe you're the first generation of families in your family tree that know Jesus. And that's a a difficult place to be because you don't have a whole lot of examples of how to live a, a godly household life. But guess what? You are you are becoming a branch on the family tree that will never be broken. You are becoming a, a a testimony to the entire tree that God can do a real and powerful work in a family. And I just want to encourage you if you are a a one uh, fam, if you are the only Christian in your family or the only Christian family in your family tree, don't give up. And don't stop praying because God has a plan for families. And once the light gets in, you can't get it out. Once the salt gets in, you can't get it out. You are already in. The gospel already came into your house, came into your household. And maybe somebody doesn't like it. You just say, too bad. We are going to serve the Lord. So this lamb, in the book of Genesis, we see it primarily being a lamb per person. Abel offered a sacrifice. Abraham offered a sacrifice. Noah offered a sacrifice. But now God is widening the picture in Exodus and He says the lamb is going to be for the family. Now it's important for every person to know the lamb of God. But it is equally important and of interest to God that every family should know the Lamb. Say amen, somebody. Now here's another point I would like to make. In verse 2, there it says, this shall be the beginning of months. The Passover celebration became the beginning of the calendar for the nation of Israel. That means uh, that the Lamb of God would be the, the, the... the new uh, would bring a fresh start or a new beginning to the family. And that is what God will do in any place where Jesus is received as Lord. God will start something new. And a new beginning will come to that life, to that heart, to that family. Aquí vemos en el verso 2 que dice que esta celebración de la Pascua sería el principio de meses. Eso nos da a entender que el Cordero de Dios... Produce una cosa nueva. When the Lamb of God is introduced, new things happen. Let me ask you this Did thing change, did things change when Jesus came into your heart? Did you did you receive new life when Jesus came into your heart? You were born again to a new life, to a new style of life. Why? Because the Jesus is the beginning of good things in your life. And for your family Now, what kind of lamb was this to be well let's observe here that, that in verse 5 it says your lamb shall be an unblemished male of a year old I want I want you to just notice that he says your lamb everyone say my lamb is Jesus your lamb have you made Jesus your personal savior This ahí el verso 5 cordero, eso es personal. Y usted debe decir, mi cordero. He's my lamb. Say it again, my lamb. Doesn't that feel good? You have a lamb that takes away sin. And he's yours. What kind of lamb shall it be unblemished, a male of a year old? This lamb has to be perfect. And he has to be innocent. That's what male of a year old refers to. Este cordero debe ser perfecto e inocente. De acuerdo al verso 5. We're starting to see the Bible unfold. Little by little. We've gone through Genesis. Now we're in Exodus. And we see how the Lamb of God idea becomes uh, wider. And we start to see that God has set some standards for the Lamb. This cannot be a a Lamb that's, you know, uh, 12 years old and has lived its, uh, lived out its life and has no more useful purpose and now you're gonna sacrifice it. No, this lamb must be perfect and innocent. Why? Because Jesus Christ would be the perfect and innocent son of God. This lamb has to represent Jesus and so he has to be perfect. You and I have a perfect savior. Este cordero tiene que ser perfecto. ¿Por qué? Porque usted y yo tenemos un Salvador perfecto. If you make anyone other than Christ your lamb, you will not have a sufficient sacrifice because the lamb must be perfect. But guess what? Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. There is no imperfection in him. Say amen if you believe that. Then we read in verse 6 that they were to keep it until the 14th day of the same month. What happens if you raise a lamb for two weeks? What happens when you bring a pet home? And he hangs out with your family. Becomes part of the family. They had to take the lamb and live with it for 14 days. I don't think that meant they had to sleep with it and, and let him eat at the table, but they had a lot of close proximity to the lamb. This was because this lamb must be a personal lamb. They had, to, they had to offer, when they would bring this lamb to sacrifice, they had to offer someone that was something that was dear to them. Este cordero lo llevaban y vivían con él, o él vivía con ellos por 14 días. ¿Y qué pasa cuando uh, una mascota uh, la traen a la casa y por varios días pasan tiempo los hijos la familia con ella? Ahora se sí hace parte de la familia. Es algo querido, algo amado. This lamb was to be beloved. Because when they were to offer him up, he would be dear to them. Cuando lo iban a ofrecer, este cordero iba a ser algo uh, de, de amor, algo que ellos apreciaban, Hacia, hacia su vida, algo de importancia. It was to be a cherished lamb. Do you cherish the lamb of God? Este cordero es uh, algo amado. Usted y yo debemos amar al cordero. Our lamb is a cherished lamb. First of all, he was cherished by God. For God tells us that he is his beloved son. Este cordero es un cordero amado, y primero vemos que él fue amado por Dios, porque dice la escritura que cuando Dios habló de él, él dijo, este es mi hijo amado. This is my beloved son, God loves the lamb, God loves Jesus, Dios ama al cordero, Dios ama a Cristo. In fact, Jesus said on one occasion, my father Loves me. Jesus dijo en una ocasión, "Mi padre me ama." Isn't that cool to think about the fact that here's Jesus, a grown man, and what's he talking about? My father loves me. He was aware of the love of God. Él estaba tan consciente del amor de Dios que Jesús, siendo hombre adulto, dijo, "Mi padre me ama." And then people fell in love with him, and people cherished him. He wasn't just loved. By the Father, but He was loved by people, and you and I are among those people who cherish the Lamb. Ahora usted y yo somos también parte de ese pueblo, esa gente que ama a Dios. It's a children's song that we sing. Oh, how I love Jesus! Do you love Him tonight? the The Lamb of God is not some distant and an unrelatable object. He is a cherished part of every believer's life. El Cordero de Dios es parte querida de cada persona, de cada hombre y mujer que ha tenido un encuentro con Dios. And I don't know what my life, I would say this for myself, I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't know and love Jesus. He's the dearest thing to me. He's the longest friend I've had. And to know that he loves me has been an anchor to my soul. And so if you don't know Jesus and you haven't, you haven't really spent much time with him, I dare you to do it and you will fall in love with Jesus. Jesus. Because he's impossible not to fall in love with when you get to know him and walk with him. And you see him all throughout the scriptures as this cherished lamb of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his cherished son. Now we read in verse 7. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the house in which they shall eat. Now we see that this this lamb will offer his blood. Aquí vemos que este cordero va a ofrecer su sangre. Now somebody said, Pastor, why is the church so obsessed with the blood? Always talking about the blood. And when we have communion, we say this is the the blood and so on and so forth. And people are often uh, criticizing us. For our emphasis upon the blood, but here's the fact this lamb had to come. It was not his wool that would redeem, it was his blood that would redeem. Jesus did not come. Just to get to be known and loved by man. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice for many. And to give him his blood for our redemption. Jesús no vino simplemente para ser amado. Vino a dar su sangre. La Este cordero tiene que derramar su sangre. No, no es suficiente. La lana del de cordero es necesario de ser cubiertos en su sangre. Why? The Bible says that the life of man or the the soul of man is in the blood. Dice la Escritura que la vida del hombre está en su sangre. The moment your blood stops pumping through your heart, the moment your blood stops flowing through your body, you are not going to be alive any longer. El momento que su sangre ya no fluye por su cuerpo ha llegado la muerte. Why? Because the life of man is in the blood. La vida del hombre está... La sangre. Furthermore, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. Así, también dice la escritura que sin el derramamiento de sangre no hay remisión de pecados. There is nothing that can erase sin but the blood of Jesus. No hay nada que puede desborrar el pecado sino la sangre de Cristo. Listen, you can cover sin, but only the blood of Jesus can erase sin. Solo la sangre de Cristo puede quitar, borrar el pecado. That's why John says he takes away the sin of the world. How does he take it away? By the shedding of his blood. Él quita el pecado. ¿Cómo lo hace? Por el derramamiento de su sangre. And so we sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus. And we sing, Are you washed in the blood? And we sing, There's power in the blood. And so long as the Lord gives me the grace to pastor this church, we're going to sing about the blood and we're going to, we're going to preach about the blood because there is no salvation outside of the blood. And I don't know why you not need to get too worried about it. It's not our blood. We don't have to shed a single drop of blood. The blood's been shed once and for all at the cross. They were to take this blood and place it over the doorpost of their house. la puerta de su casa This is a public statement. This is una declaración pública. He didn't say put the door, the blood on the inside of your house. No dijo pon la sangre adentro de la puerta, dice afuera. Es una declaración pública. Have you gone public with your faith? Have you gone public with Jesus? Es Cristo a un mensaje, una fe pública para usted, or is he an inside God only? This was an outward declaration. Of the fate of the house. Esta era una declaración pública de la fe de esta casa. The blood was placed on the doorpost of the house. And this is what happened. That night, the death angel came in. Esa noche, el ángel de la muerte entró a Egipto. And everywhere that there was a firstborn, whether it be a man or a beast, if they were not in a house where blood was on the door, they died. From the village to the palace of Pharaoh, everyone who was not in a house covered by blood died. Esa noche llegó el ángel de la muerte y cada hogar donde no había sangre sobre la puerta, el primogénito murió. You might be a 90-year-old man. If you were a, a firstborn and was there was no blood on your house, you died. You might be the prince of Egypt, just like... Pharaoh's son. No blood on the door. Death. And you say, Pastor, this sounds like such a terrible story and such a a harsh thing. But let me just tell you, this is not just a story. This took place in history, but it's going to take place again in history. Because you see, the soul that sinned shall surely die. And unless the blood of Jesus has been applied to your heart, friend, by faith, you too must die and face an eternal separation from God. But if you will come to the Lamb of God, your sins will be covered and erased and you will be saved and you'll have eternal life. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. The only way to avoid death and judgment is the blood. So that night when the death o- the angel came in... Esa noche cuando entró el ángel de la, de la muerte... Cuando él miraba la sangre... Whenever he saw the blood... The blood was literally announcing to him... Death already came through here. Cuando él me- miraba la sangre... La sangre anunciaba... La muerte ya pasó por aquí. That's why when you and I came to Jesus... And we applied the blood of Jesus to our heart by faith. Now, the death angel, now the power of judgment is no longer on you. Why? Because death has already been there. Come on, somebody. You've already been covered from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, just say it out loud, death has already been here. My goodness, what a statement. Death has already been here. Judgment already passed through this house. And it wasn't me. It was the sacrifice. He took my place as my substitute. And then, verse 8, we see that they ate the lamb. Luego vemos en el verso 8 que comían la sangre. Perdón, el cordero. They were to roast the lamb. How many of you like barbecue? You see, following God is not always gloomy, sad, fasting. There's feasting too. Say about somebody. When there's a lamb slain, there's a feast. You and I come and we receive the Lord's table. We're receiving the feast. And they were to eat the lamb. Ellos tenían que comer el cordero. This is a reminder that you and I must eat Christ. Usted y yo tenemos que comer a Cristo. Now this is obviously a a reference to what Jesus said when he spoke to the disciples and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. He's not talking about becoming... Uh, cannibals or cannibalism, but he's speaking about the fact that you must eat his doctrine, his teaching, his lifestyle. You and I must eat and, and, and digest all that Christ is. There is nothing about Jesus which is not nutritious to your soul. No hay nada de Cristo que se debe de quedar fuera de nuestra dieta. Todo, de, todo lo de Él es para el nutrimiento de nuestra alma. He said, well, I like everything about Jesus except that thing that he said about sin. You got to eat all of Christ. They had to eat the whole lamb. And they couldn't boil the the meat. They had to roast it. This lamb could not be watered down. There are people today trying to water down Jesus. Jesus. They want to make Him kosher for a 21st century religion. And you and I cannot water down Jesus. We have to preach Jesus the way the Bible teaches us about Jesus. Have you eaten Him? Does not the Bible say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And He will provide for you and for me the nutrition by which our spiritual man can live. There are a lot of topics we can talk about in the Bible. Hay muchos temas de los cual podemos hablar en la Biblia. I try every time I preach to you to preach Jesus to you. One way or another we're going to get back to Jesus. Why? Because He is the essential element for your spiritual diet. He is the one that gives us life and and he is the one that causes us to grow and to mature in him. Es por eso que yo trato de cada mensaje de regresarnos a Cristo. a Cual sea el tema, siempre tenemos que regresar nuestra atención a Cristo porque él, porque él es la dieta que trae madurez a la vida cristiana. Do you see the Lamb of God? In this passage. You see Christ in this passage. Let's continue then. We'll go to the book of Leviticus. Vamos a continuar. Libro de Éxodo. And we'll start in chapter 1. Éxodo capítulo 1. Verse 1. Chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible here. In the book of Leviticus. Is the. The, this is Leviticus is the, worst, the order of worship for the nation of Israel aquí está el orden de servicio how do you approach God how do you worship God como se como se acerca uno a Dios como es que uno puede venir a Dios are you there say amen if you're there you have your red pin Alright, then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord. Notice, he said, when, not if. What does that mean? He takes it for granted that you and I are going to come to his house. And that you and I are going to bring an offering. And then he says, you shall bring your offering of the animals from the herd of the flock. If his if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and that he may be acceptable before the Lord. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons and priests shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is on the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron and the priests shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons and the priests shall arrange the pieces, the head, and over the wood which is in the fire. That is on the altar, its entrails, however, and its legs shall be washed with water, and the priest shall offer up uh, in smoke all that is on the altar for burnt offering, an offering by fire of a smooth aroma to the Lord. Now I don't have all the time that it takes tonight, but there are five offerings talked about here right in the beginning of the book of Leviticus. This first one, I'll just give you a little, head, uh, a little. Uh, appetizer here as to what these offerings are about and this was a burnt offering this was an offering that was brought to God and it was to be a smooth aroma it was an offering that was brought to God for uh, for him for him to receive and to accept as a smooth aroma there was some not so smooth uh, aroma offerings that were offered also as well but this offering Notice here, was brought by anyone that wanted to come and worship. Esta era la ofrenda que se traía por aquel que quería venir a adorar. Now what I want you to notice here is who's doing all the work. ¿Quién es el que hace la, el trabajo? Three verses in, in, in sequence, verse 4, 5, and 6. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. This is the job of the offerer is the work trabajo del ofrecedor. When you bring an offering, you're the offerer. I know that's an awkward word. We don't use that very much. But you are the offerer. The first thing the offerer had to do was lay his hands on the head of the sacrifice. And he was to do what? That he may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. When you would bring a sacrifice to the Lord, you would lay your hands on it. And... Now, depending on the type of offering that you were bringing, if it was an offering for sin, you would confess your sin over that. Or if it was an offering of worship, you would declare, this offering is going to take my place before the Lord. You and I must lay our hands on Christ. You and I must take hold of Christ. You and I must confess our sin to Christ. Say amen, somebody. And then in verse 4, we see that he shall lay his hand on the head. Verse 5, I should say. And he shall slay the young bull. Now he's going to slay the offering. Who was it that did the slaying? The offerer. Not the priest. But the offerer. And he shall then uh, slay the young bull before the Lord. and And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar. So you would slay the animal and the priest would capture that animal's blood and offer it at the altar before the Lord. And then in verse 6, and he shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. So you see the the tremendous work that it was to bring an offering before the Lord. And then Aaron and his sons will put that uh, altar on the, uh, pardon, put that offering on the altar and arrange it on the altar before the Lord. Only the priest could go in to the altar so you could only come so far. But what I want you to see here is that this was something very personal. You laid your hands upon it. You slayed the offer, the offering and you skinned it and prepared it for the altar. Can you see now that the, that the, the, that worship for God a church is not something that can be done by delegating it to somebody else. If you're going to come to God, you must come through the Lamb. True worship always comes through the Lamb. La adoración genuina siempre viene a través del Cordero. And that is uh, such an important responsibility that every believer holds. Esa es la responsabilidad de cada creyente. You can't send someone to do your worship for you. You have to do this for yourself. It's a personal matter. Eso es una, una cosa personal. La adoración a Dios. Now let's go in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16. Vamos a ir ahora a Leviticus capítulo 16 y el verso 16. Now we see that an offering is brought before the Lord. And it says, He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgression in regard to all their sins. And thus He shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. Everyone say atonement. The final feast of the nation of Israel every year was a Feast of Atonement. And this feast was an offering for the nation. Ahora vemos en Levítico 16, 16 la ofrenda que se daba por la expiación. En la última fiesta de la nación de Israel cada año era la fiesta de expiación. Y esta fiesta es para la nación. So I want you to notice now, in Genesis, we saw the lamb per man. In Exodus, we saw the lamb per family. But now, in, in Leviticus 16, 16, we see the lamb for the nation. And Génesis vimos el cordero para la persona, para el hombre. En, en Éxodo, el cordero para la familia. Pero aquí vemos el cordero para la nación. God is interested in the nation. A Dios le interesa... Now we saw that Leviticus begins with very personal, you bringing an offering of worship to God. You can't delegate that. You can't give this away. But now we see that the lamb is for the nation as well. God cares about you, but he cares about America also. And he cares about Canada and about Mexico and about England and about Israel and about every nation and every tribal group on the face of ...of the earth. Jesus died for men. He died for families... ...and He died for nations. But isn't it amazing that John... ...when he introduces Jesus... ...he says, Behold the Lamb of God... ...who takes away the sin of... ...the world. He doesn't say the sin of Israel. He said the sin of the world. Because up until Jesus... ...all the lambs were for Israel... Leviticus 16.16 16 is, a, is a, a sacrifice offered for the nation of Israel. But there has been a sacrifice offered for more than just Israel. His name is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You ought to get excited about that. Because Leviticus 16.16 16 didn't cover us. Unless you're Jewish, this didn't cover us. But oh, when Jesus came, He became an atonement, not just for the Hebrew people, but for the every nation, tribe, and tongue. Come on, somebody. Jesus covered you. He covered America. He covered the nations of the world. He's a lamb for the nation. Let's keep going. Isaiah now. Isaiah chapter 53. I know I'm talking fast. You've got to listen fast. Now, Isaiah 53, and we'll read verse four, starting at verse four. But I'm going to focus on chapter 53, verse seven. Now, you can mark this in red as well. All of these passages, you can mark in red. Now, if you like to be real, real careful how you mark it, just write it down and go back home and mark it with your ruler. All right, but. This is a passage here. You, you probably have it memorized. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we as ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Who's this talking about? Jesus, is talking about the Lamb of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Who is the Lamb of God? Here we see Him and and we, we have a new little corner on Revelation here as Isaiah reveals to us that the Lamb of God is a person. Aquí vemos un rinconcito más de la revelación del Cordero de Dios y aquí vemos que el Cordero de Dios es una persona. Say that out loud. The Lamb of God is a person. You see, up until now, all we have is the revelation of lambs and sacrifices and blood. But now Isaiah is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he broadens the picture a little more. And now we see the lamb is a person. What kind of person was he? That's good. That's true. Look at verse 2. He grew up before them like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men of man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face he was despised and we did not esteem him. What kind of person was he? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And what does this person do? He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was chastened for our well being. And what does it say here? By his scourging, by the shedding of his blood, we are healed. Do you need healing tonight? lay claim to the healing of the blood shed by the lamb of god he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not open his mouth L- L- notice when jesus was crucified he was put through extraordinary torture 40 uh, uh, the the tradition was to was to whip someone with a uh, what was called a cat of nine tails it was a whip that had nine pieces of iron attached to the end of it its purpose was to uh, to just about execute a person and and the excruciating pain that was that was uh, often resulted in death resulted in them giving you just 39 of the 40 that last one was a mercy and so you can imagine the the raging anger of a suffering man. We see it when you read the Gospels. The men who were crucified beside Jesus, they're blaspheming God and everybody else. What is our lamb doing? He's silent. He's quiet before his his persecutors. Why? Because he was the sinless lamb of God. It says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Jesus is the person Isaiah is talking about. Now this is so important because the Bible here is letting us know that we're not going to be redeemed by by an animal Now, you know why we can't be redeemed by an animal. I've taught you this already. Why can't we be redeemed by an animal? You can only be redeemed by something you are related to. So the lambs of the Old Testament were not related to man. They could only cover sin. And as was the case of the Feast of Atonement that we read about in Leviticus 16, that covered sin for a year. And so it's not enough for a sacrifice of an animal to come. There has to be a man because we are men. We're human beings. The only one that can redeem us has to be like us. La redención tiene que venir por un hombre. ¿Por qué? Porque somos hombre. Somos humano. Entonces los corderos son solamente un símbolo del que vendrá. Pero viene un hombre. A man is coming. A person is coming. And he will be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Now John tells us in John 1.29 who that person was. Jesus is coming down the riverbanks. And John sees him and points to Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the person that taketh away the sin of the world. This is so significant. We take it for granted because we're Christians, we follow Jesus, Jesus is a household word, and, and it it is important for us to not just gloss over or wash over this fact. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus es el Cordero de Dios. I can't emphasize it enough. Jesus is not a Lamb of God. Jesus no es un Cordero de Dios. He's not one of the sacrifices for sin. He is the one and only exclusive Lamb of God. Jesus es el Cordero de Dios. Say it out loud. Jesus is the Lamb of God. You don't have to look any further than Christ. He's the person. All right, let's fast forward now. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Ahora vamos a Apocalipsis capítulo 5. John introduces the Lamb of God on earth in, in John 1.29, but here we have him introduced in heaven. Listen, just by, by way of mention, It doesn't matter how they introduce you on the earth. What matters is how they introduce you in heaven. They could call you the president, the king, the most honorable, the most famous, the goat. If God doesn't know who you are, none of that matters. And they may not know your name or anything about you here on the earth. But if God knows who you are, your record is on high. But here we have the Lamb. And he's introduced on earth as the Lamb of God. The fulfillment of all that Old Testament prophecy and picture. But now we see him introduced in heaven. Let's read together. Revelation 5. Now this is John and he's having a vision Of glory, a vision of heaven. He said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. John is seeing a vision of heaven. What does he see? He sees God on his throne. And in his hands is a scroll. Written on the inside and the outside. And this scroll has seven seals. What is this scroll? Well, basically, in the ancient world, when you had a deed to a property, it was, or a contract, it was written on a scroll, on the inside of the scroll, and the outside, they would have a summary of what was on the inside. That's what he's seeing here. He's seeing that God has the title deed Of the creation. In his hand. And this deed has seven seals. Generally when a contract was signed it was sealed. This one is seven seals. It's it's a a complete thing. That's what seven refers to. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the book. And to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Can you imagine complete silence? Just pause for a second. That beautiful piano music, gone. And God asked the question who is worthy to open this book? Not a sound. Not a preacher, not an angel, not a demon, not an archangel, not a saint, not a sound. What did John do? He said, I began to weep. Because no one was found worthy to open the book. Or to look into it. No one is worthy. Of redeeming. The world. So what do you do? He start crying. I would cry too. And one of the elders said. Stop weeping. All right. We'll have some more of that beautiful music now. Tell your neighbor, stop weeping. Why are you crying, John? That doesn't fit here. This is heaven. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about a lamb. Yes, but John saw a lion. He saw the he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. That triumphant lion of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis he was a lamb, in Exodus he was a lamb, in Leviticus he was a lamb. Isaiah he's a lamb. But now John sees him in glory as the lion, the powerful root of David. What has He done? He has overcome. Shout, He has overcome. Shout it again, He has overcome. Look, I don't know what your challenges are today. I have good news for you. Christ has overcome. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. So John sees Jesus and he sees a lion, but he also sees a lamb. Because Jesus is that triumphant lion. But how did he become the triumphant giant lion? Because he was the lamb. How is the lamb? He's standing. Say so he's standing. What does that mean? That means he's alive. The lamb of God was slain, but he's standing now. How is he standing? Because he's alive. He's risen from the dead. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, this is a, a vision. So John sees the seven horns. That represents the uh, the horns represents power. He sees Jesus having all power, complete power, authority. El el cordero el cual está parado significa que él ha resucitado entre los muertos y tiene siete cuernos esta es una visión simbólica que los cuernos significan poder autoridad y él tiene siete cuernos que significa autoridad completa he has complete authority no one can question his authority no hay quien niegue su autoridad and he has seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we read about these in Isaiah chapter 11. Vemos estos siete ojos, que son los siete espíritus de Dios. En Isaías 7, these are the seven characteristics of the spirit of God. He's the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, and the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Just think about this. He's standing, resurrected. He has authority and power, unquestioned, absolute. And He is he is empowered by the perfect Spirit of God. And what did He do? He came and He took the book out of the right hand Of God. No one could open the book. Adam couldn't open the book. Abraham couldn't open the book. Moses couldn't open the book. Isaiah couldn't open the book. Peter couldn't open the book. Paul couldn't open the book. John couldn't open the book. Jesus, the Lamb of God, stepped forward. And he has taken the book. Say amen, somebody. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders did what? Fell on there, fell down before the Lord, before the lamb. Each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a king and a priest to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And then in verse 12, we have another song. This is the song of the angels. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard them saying now the creation joins in and begins to sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and forever. Behold the lamb of God. We see the elders worship him. We see the angels worship him. But then the creation worships him and declares his worth, his dominion for how long? For four year term? For how long? For a lifetime? For how long? For 70, 80 years? How long? Forever and ever. Come on, give the Lamb of God praise and glory this evening. Said he's my lamb. Let's stand tonight and just give him worship. Just give him worship. Just declare that he is worthy. That he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb.